This is the Practical Homeopathy Podcast, episode number 102 with Joette Calabrese. This is Joette Calabrese, and I'd like to welcome you to the Practical Homeopathy Podcast. Women and men worldwide are taking back control of their family's health and learning how to heal their bodies naturally, safely, and effectively. So if you're hungry to learn more, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned as we give you the tools and the inspiration you need as I share my decades of experience and knowledge using this powerful medicine we call homeopathy. Hi, this is Kate, and I want to welcome you back to the Practical Homeopathy Podcast. Joette and I are here today and we're going to get personal. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, right. You should be scared, <laughs> Joette. I'm going to ask you some personal questions. Actually, this is something I've been wondering for a long time. You are so busy, Joette, and you do so many things. If you don't mind, I want to share with the listeners some of the things that I see you do. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. <laughs> I see you. Just don't tell them that one story. No, no, no. <laughs> Okay. All right. I see you stitching, fixing things, mending things. I I actually don't know what you're doing, but you're doing something with a needle (laughs) and a thread. Sometimes during our meetings, I just heard recently, you told me that you were learning Spanish. You are swimming now. You love to study words. You're always talking about something that you're learning, some person that you're following on a podcast and something that you're learning about. It's mind-boggling to me all the things that you do in addition to your more than full-time job of being a homeopath. So I thought it would be really interesting for your listeners to hear about your day and how you accomplish all these things. So you want to share that with us? Um, Okay. I don't know how interesting this will be, but we'll give it a try. Well, I'm interested and I figure if I am, other people are as well. (laughs) Well, one of the things, one of the rules I have, and I was having a hard time with it for a while, was getting to bed early so that I could get up early. And my swimming has put that into place for me. So I like to get to bed early enough so that I know that I'll be up before the sun rises and I can get started. Now, Joette, before you go on, I want to tell a little secret. Sometimes I email you at midnight my time, which is one o'clock your time, and you answer me back. So I do. I, I know you're not always going to bed early. No, I'm not always going to bed early, but you might note, Kate, that it was before I started swimming. Because since I've been swimming, pretty much I am sleeping soundly, going to bed around 9 30, 10 o'clock, and it's been really, really good for me. I mean, I would say perhaps occasionally I might be up, but generally speaking, I try to keep that habit alive and well. But how can you do that when you are on live Q&As until late in the evening sometimes? Well, those are the nights. When I'm on with the study groups, for example, your study group, and I have a lot of questions to answer, I never leave those study groups without answering every single question, make sure that everyone is satisfied. And it sometimes goes to 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I've even gone as late as 11, 15 on some of those groups. And those are the nights that I don't sleep so well, in spite of the fact that I've been swimming during the day. So it does take me time to wind down and then I get online and I see what emails I need to respond to. And invariably, there you are. (laughs) All right. So tell us how you accomplish all the things that you do. What's your secret? Okay. What's my secret? (laughs) Um, 
I establish my day in advance. So I know what I'm going to do the next day, partly because I'm scheduled. I mean, my calendar is completely full. I'm scheduled all day and into the evening with appointments, with clients, with meetings, with say you or Tracy, who I collaborate with writing or with Shannon to discuss clients or um, a meeting with my, with my husband or a meeting with our consultant. And so I am scheduled all day, pretty much every day, except Sundays. And so, and that of course is my clients most of the day from 10 a.m. until about five o'clock, I'm meeting with clients one after another. And for those that I meet on the other side of the earth, then I'm up meeting with them late at night or first thing in the morning. If they're in Europe, then I start earlier. If they're in New Zealand or uh, Australia, I should say, then I'm going to be meeting with them late at night. So it's morning for them. So my time is very, very scheduled, but I also have kept my life extremely simple. I don't buy a lot of products. I don't grocery shop very often. I keep our meals very simple. And there was a time when I didn't do that. But now that my husband and I are alone, our children are all on their own. Breakfast is very simple. It's eggs pretty much every morning. Sometimes it's burgers. Sometimes it's lamb burgers or something like that. And we eat a little bit later in the morning between my appointments. And then I've already defrosted the meat from the night before or that morning for our dinner that night. Everything goes on the grill. Um, if it's meat, if it's eggs, then they're boiled or they're fried in butter. So I will have an avocado perhaps, but I don't chop up vegetables for salads anymore. I'll have an avocado or I'll have maybe some blueberries or something like that. And I keep it ridiculously simple. In fact, there's so much time around our meals that I, and especially now that my mother's passed away because she was part of our lives too, and I would feed her. And that was a whole different job. Now that she has passed away, my life in terms of around our meals is ridiculously easy. So that makes it much easier. I don't have pots and pans to clean. I don't prepare. I don't make kombucha any longer. I don't grind my own flour. I don't soak it anymore. I don't soak my nuts and then roast them. Those are the kinds of things I used to do. I used to pick our dunes and pick blueberries with my kids, make my own bread from scratch. I don't do any of that anymore. It's very, very simple meals. So that has made a big, big difference. Then for cleaning my house, it's the same idea. I keep it really simple. I only have a couple of products, you know, Bon Ami, white vinegar, dish soap, and call it a day. That's pretty much how my house is cleaned. I don't buy special countertop products. I don't buy shampoo. I use soap. Um, I rinse my hair with raw vinegar. What goes on my skin is lard or tallow. I mean, I really make this ridiculously easy because if I have a lot of products, then I have to order them. I have to keep up with them. I have to organize them. I don't want to do any of that. So that has a lot to do with it too. Then another part of my thinking is that I write down my ideas and what I'm going to do in between those appointments to make sure that I get it all done. I have a lot of little slips of paper for that, <laughs> uh, which are really kind of silly, but I also have a book that I keep and hear me opening and closing it. <laughs> and I jot down ideas. I jot down words phrases that I'm going to be used in writing articles, in populating my blogs, et cetera. And that is all kept together so that when the time comes and I need a reference, I've got it. Now, I have some of it on my laptop, 
then of course the transfers over to my desktop and I do have word files that give me my ideas as well to keep them organized but generally speaking I use these little sheets of paper <laughs> so speaking of organization how do you organize your notes on homeopathic medicines do you keep them all in a certain book or do you write notes in your materia medicas and repertories or how do you keep that yeah, I use all three of those methods, but the main method is I have a very thick, heavy three ring binder book. I actually have three of those, but I have one that I'm using on a day-to-day basis and I have it in categories, parts of the body. So it's mind, head, dental, what's the next place? It would be ears, nose, throat, and all of those are in categories so that I can look up if I forget something, I rarely forget. To be honest, I know these protocols now like the back of my hand. But once in a while, I need to refer back and see if there's another way to do it because there are second and tertiary protocols as well that I don't necessarily always have memorized. And so I I use those as well. But also in my Materia Medica, I keep lots and lots of notes. I write them handwritten so that my Materia Medica is loaded with my own handwriting. So when I learn something new or I notice something about what has happened to someone after they have used a particular medicine and how it has helped them, I jot that down. That's very important for me to keep up with. Otherwise, I'll lose it. I won't remember it forever. So I also love to write down, you know, ideas and words. I just came across this is kind of fun. Do you know what the Barnum effect is? Have you ever heard of that, Kate? Mm-mm, no. The Barnum effect. This is so interesting because I've come across it so many times in homeopathy. It's actually a psychological description of what happens to humans. It's a phenomenon where I'm reading this now from my little book. It's a phenomenon wherein people accept personality traits that apply to most everyone as if those specific traits provide an insight into something special about them. So I'll continue reading. In actuality, the contents of universally valid statements fit any and all individuals by virtue of their triviality, which means that, and this is how I see it time and again in my practice, people say to me, I can't tell you how often they say, my case is really difficult, isn't it? I say, no, it really isn't. No, I mean, I mean, this is complex, right? No, it really isn't. I mean, I can distill it down to its most important characteristics and then assign a hierarchy to which conditions are first, second, third, et cetera, and then assign the medicines accordingly. But because they, they and we as humans are stuck in ourselves and we only think about that all day, especially if we're suffering, we think we're the only ones on earth that have this kind of condition. We think that these unusual idiosyncrasies of our lives, no one else could possibly experience. But that is so untrue. It's extremely rare that someone has an experience that other humans have not had. And so I think that's interesting because I never knew the name of it and I come across it all the time. And I must admit that when I was sick and I was seeing a homeopath, I thought the same thing. This is complex, isn't it? No, she'd say, no, it's not complex. And I'd say, no, really? I mean, this aspect, don't you think that this part of it is kind of unusual? No, no. (laughs) Really? This is not a big deal. It's food intolerances, allergies, chemical sensitivities. You know, it's kind of pretty easy to figure out. And if I had distilled it enough, actually it was because I was distilling it too much is what caused all the problems. If I could have stepped aside outside of myself, I would have seen, for goodness sakes, of course, many people have allergies and food intolerances as shown up in headaches and asthma. 
So what you just said there, the Barnum effect. Yes. You do that all the time, Joette. All, <laughs> all the you're, time. You're always coming up with new ideas, new words. You're always telling me about a phrase that you've learned or a new word. I just don't understand how you have time to do all this. <laughs> Kate, my guess is you're the same. You just don't realize it. And I think there are a lot of people who are out there who are the same as well. But let me also say, I don't watch television. Um, I do watch some podcasts. I am interested in knowing what's going on in our country politically, because I think it's going to affect all of it, it does affect all of us. So I do watch those kinds of things here and there. But we raised our kids some 25, 30 years ago, and we did not have a television. And so, of course, people don't watch as much television now as they sit in front of their screens and, you know, they're online and, and YouTube. And you can easily get caught up in YouTube very easily. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that's interesting on YouTube that I want to learn. And so I continue with that, but not to the degree that I might be prone to if I allowed myself. So this is an interesting question. What is your amount of screen time every day, Joette? Oh, screen time is probably most of the day because when you think about it, I'm sitting, I'm meeting with my clients. I'm meeting with my staff. Everybody's on the screen. Yeah, you're right. So the world in which we live now is all screen time. Mm-hmm. The only non-screen time I have is when I have my meals with my husband. When I swim, I swim every morning. And when my husband and I go out to dinner, or when our children come to visit, then I'm off the screen. But generally, this is what I do all day is sit in front of a screen. But I'm meeting with people. It's not as though it's inanimate. It is quite alive because I'm meeting with someone. Right, right now, you and I can see each other, which is lovely. Okay, so let me ask you this question. You are very fit. You're not overweight. And how do you stay trim, Joette, with all of the time that you have to be physically sitting at your desk in front of a screen? Do you get up in between appointments and do some stretching or what's your secret to staying so thin? Well, first of all, I don't think you've really seen me. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> because it's a constant battle, Kate. When you get to be in your 50s as a woman and 60s, and I'm you know, only a couple of years away from my 70s, it's a constant battle. So I swim every day. I swim a mile. I've been swimming a mile lately. And when I miss a day, I really feel it. I don't like the way it feels. I want to be out there. I want to be swimming. So that helps. I think that's making a difference. I stay away from sweets as much as I can, as much as I adore chocolate. Mm-hmm. I could live on chocolate. I could live on pastries. I used to love to bake for my kids and I gained a lot of weight because of it. And so I worked hard to get rid of that weight. So I try not to eat those kinds of foods. And I think that by eating the way that I eat, that makes a difference too. And then I ignore hunger sometimes, especially at night. I try to drink water to forget about it for a while. It doesn't mean that I won't eat if I'm really hungry, but a lot of times I found that my hunger is really just thirst. And because I'm in South Florida and I work out, I, you know, I swim and I'm drinking salt water along the way, it gets in my mouth and I do drink it here and there, um, that I'm probably more thirsty than I realize. And so I really need to remain hydrated. Now, I'm not one of those people who believes you drink a gallon of water a day. I think that's ridiculous, unless there's a circumstance in which that makes sense if you're a runner and you're in hot weather, et cetera. But I don't do that. And I don't agree with that. I try to find my thirst by forcing myself a little bit. And then once my thirst is triggered, then I can follow the sensation and then know when to drink. So I'd probably drink, I don't know, five glasses of water a day. 
and they're probably not even eight ounces, to be honest. But I also love foods and people are probably going to have issue with this, but I'm going to be honest. I told you what I generally eat, but I adore pepperoni. I could eat pepperoni. In fact, often I do every day, one piece. That's my snack. And so if I'm really hungry in the morning and I don't want to wait till lunch, I'll have a piece of pepperoni. And if I could have my druthers, it would be pepperoni with great crusty Italian bread and some (laughs) fabulous cheese and some olives and maybe some calamari on the side. And I would be one happy person. But I forego the bread (laughs) because of, you know, the concern about weight. And um, and I just have one little piece of pepperoni. Okay, one little piece of pepperoni satisfies you? It holds me. No, it won't. It will not fully satisfy me. That and a glass of water and a a small cup of coffee. When I say have a small cup of coffee, I pour an ounce of coffee, literally an ounce of made coffee into my cup, the pot that my husband makes every day. And I fill up the rest of the cup with hot water. And I add a pinch of salt to make it taste a little bit stronger. Sometimes I'll add cinnamon or something to add a little flavor. But for the most part, that's it. Just so I have something hot to drink and my piece of pepperoni, my glass of water (laughs) and my very diluted coffee is my little mid-morning snack. It holds me over. The other food that I absolutely adore is calamari. I make it every single week. It never fails. I'll make it into a salad. I'll make it cold in a salad with olives and celery and um, I'm trying to think of what else, bell peppers and maybe some hot peppers, pepperoncini and olive oil. And I could eat that for days. I don't make that much of it, but that's cold. And then when I make it hot, I often fry it or grill it. I absolutely love squid. That's not something that's super common that people eat. Where do you purchase calamari? Well, it's because my family is Sicilian and I grew up eating it. My mother made it all the time too. And I buy it, of course, in Florida, it's easy. There are lots of fish markets, but you can buy it at at most grocery stores that have a good selection of fish. So Whole Foods and those little markets that you can find around Florida that are, yeah, but I used to be able to find it in Buffalo and even in Canada. So you just have to kind of dig around till you find it. Sometimes you have to go to Italian grocers. Someday you're going to have to share us your favorite calamari recipes. Yeah. Besides my cold (laughs) salad one, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Last time we were chatting about this subject of how you accomplish everything, you were telling me how you like to be prepared and to be organized. So explain to us a little bit more about how you stay organized and prepared. Well, we touched on it a little bit, but I'll tell you that I make the assumption that stuff is going to happen. And so I know that my husband is going to get sick one of these days, or I'm going to trip and fall, or I'm going to get stung in the ocean, or I know that that's going to happen. It's just a given. That's what life's all about. So of course, then I make sure that I know the medicine, homeopathic medicine that I need to have on hand, and I own it. And so then I keep my medicines here in Florida in our bathroom that has what my mother would have called a chiffarobe, which is a kind of French doors on top and then drawers underneath. And all inside of that are all my medicines in alphabetical order, as anyone would do. It's not that unusual to do it that way. I use popsicle sticks <laughs> to label A, B, C, D, etc., so that I can find the letters very readily. And they're all standing up with the medicines in 
clear acrylic lipstick tube holders that I got on Amazon. And they hold most of the medicines that most of us purchase in each one of those cells. Now, those that I have larger bottles of, then I keep them in a separate place. But that keeps me well organized. Now, there are certain medicines that Buster needs pretty regularly. He's an old dog and he has a heart condition. So I've been treating that for some time now. And I make sure that we have that on hand. And if it looks like we're getting low, then I automatically order that. As soon as I see something's going low, then I order it. So that there's no time lag, I don't have to remember it and I can get it off my list. Nothing new here. Nothing that I'm talking about here is any different than what anyone else would do. But having moved from our family home, raising our sons in a 15 acre farm and a rather large house, and then moving from there to a very small townhouse forced me to make do with less. And I love what it has done for me. It's kept me very organized. If something doesn't fit me or I don't wear it anymore, if I happen to be in my closet and I see it, out it goes. It goes to the Salvation Army or something like that. I don't allow things to sit around any longer. I used to do that and I don't any longer. Getting back to organizing the medicines, I generally don't organize according to illnesses. I organize my remedies according to alphabetical order. But I know that some people do. In fact, I know that you do that, right, Kate? You have a little system where you keep your box organized for specific conditions. Right. But I do have a similar cabinet to what you're talking about, the doors that open. And I have shelves in there and I have the kits on certain shelves. And then on one of the shelves, I have all of my two dram OHM miscellaneous remedies in alphabetical order. And that's probably 100 or 200 remedies that are like that. But I have boxes that I purchased from OHM. They're clear boxes that hold the two dram OHM bottles. And I have several cases that I have my combination remedies. So two cases hold all of the combination remedies, the protocols. And then I make up a box for influenza or chicken pox or whatever it might be, the thing that's going around at the time along with an index card of the medicines that are in there and how to use them. So say influenza is going around, I'm going to put all the medicines that I might need with influenza in that box and write those down on the card and what symptoms that particular medicine might be useful for. So that when I get sick or someone in my family does, I don't have to go to my cabinet and try to figure out all the different remedies that I might use for influenza and what symptoms that they would pertain to. I just have it all in that case. So I can take it with me near my bed. I can give it to my daughter, someone that might need it. And it's all right there and organized. That's a brilliant way to do it, Kate. It keeps life much easier because when you're not well, as we all know, our brains turn to mush and we need to know exactly where to go and what to do. And you've got your card right there. And if you're not well enough, I think we talked about this before, if you're not well enough, you may not be the one going to the cabinet or maybe your children going to the cabinet for you because you're too unwell to even get up. Yeah, that's happened to me before where I was so sick for a day that I couldn't even make it to my homeopathy cabinet. So now (laughs) I've learned to have a few of those remedies in the drawer in my nightstand accessible if, if something were to happen. So you bet that's the way to go. Well, this reminds me of a fable, the ant and the grasshopper. We talked about this before we were planning on talking Uh about this, right? Um, Because it's one of my favorite fables and you were going to read it, right, Kate? Yes. 
I have yeah, it right go ahead. Here. You read it and then we'll talk about it. I mean, most people know it anyway, but just in case those who are not um, of our culture might be interested. Well, I didn't remember this particular one, so I'll read it. The Ants and the Grasshopper. One bright day in late autumn, a family of ants were bustling about in the warm sunshine, drying out the grain they had stored up during the summer. When a starving grasshopper, his fiddle under his arm, came up and humbly begged for a bite to eat. What? cried the ants in surprise. Haven't you stored anything away for the winter? What in the world were you doing all last summer? I didn't have time to store up any food, whined the grasshopper. I was so busy making music that before I knew it, the summer was gone. The ants shrugged their shoulders in disgust. Making music were you, they cried. Very well, now dance. And they turned their backs on the grasshopper and went on with their work. So when I heard that fable, when I was a little girl, I was confused by it (laughs) because my father was a professional musician and he practiced his trumpet and flute every day, sometimes an hour or two. And my brother and I took piano lessons from the time that we were about six or seven years old. And it was required of us to practice every day, an hour. And I also took violin. And so to me, I didn't understand what was wrong. I thought you were supposed to practice your instrument. And so now I understand that you're not supposed to practice your instrument. I don't get it. Well, obviously, eventually I figured out what the story was really about. And boy, I couldn't agree more with Aesop. We need to take responsibility for ourselves and for our own and for our own futures. It's not up to the government. It's not up to anyone else. It's up to us to take care of ourselves. And this is the best way I know. And in the world in which we reside now, more than ever, I can't think of a better reason to learn homeopathy, understand what medicines you may need, buy the medicines and organize them so that your life is easier in the future. We don't know what's coming up in our world and in our country right now. And we don't know how available homeopathy will be in the future. I'm hoping that it will be fine. I'm going to make the assumption that it is and work as though it isn't, but it may change. So it's important that each of us take responsibility and own as much as we can and learn as much as we possibly can on how to take care of our families and ourselves. I couldn't agree more. I think it is so important to have the remedies on hand that you need. I see that over and over again with people that I am working with, with the study groups, they learn these things and then they don't have the medicine and then what? Now you're stuck. So yes, be prepared. Speaking of being prepared, let's talk about how we can be prepared with one remedy in particular that you've used a lot when you've been doing all this swimming lately, because we like to always talk about a remedy and how to use it in these podcasts. So Tell us about what you're using for your swimming. Well, I don't use a remedy daily for it. I use it usually afterwards. Uh, When I'm swimming in the ocean, in the open water, there are times when the waves are really powerful and I have to swim against them and even along with them, but it's a lot of work. And I still want to swim the length that I've determined from what building I'm swimming from to the next building. And I often don't let up on myself. I just push myself. And when I get out of the water, I'm exhausted. And I trudge home along the beach and I get back home and I just flop down and I can feel that I'm overly exhausted. It's not that I'm in pain. I don't have problems with my joints. It's that I feel beat up or whipped. 
And so I have decided that the first time that happened, I thought, oh, I'll just take it easy that day. And then by the end of that day, I said, you know, this is ridiculous. Why am I putting up with this? I'm just too fatigued after having run that swim. So I started to take Arnica when that happened. Generally, I use Arnica 200. Once in a while, I'll use a 30 just because there it is. It's easier for me to grab either one of those two potencies, Arnica 30, Arnica 200. I take a dose and literally within, you know, I don't know, half an hour, an hour, I'm completely revived. In other words, I've got my pep back. I've got my thinking back. I'm not craving going to bed to sleep for half an hour. I really can carry on with my day. So it's a great medicine to keep on hand. Remember it for overuse of the body, exhaustion from overuse, feeling as though you overdid it. Some people even get a little nauseous from overdoing it when they work too hard physically, et cetera. It's a great medicine for that. This literally just happened to me today. And I think maybe Arnica, then from what you're saying, would be the remedy to use. But I went to the gym and worked out and I lifted almost 200 pounds with my legs. I did three sets of those and I was literally so exhausted afterwards. And this is after having worked out for 45 minutes in a really steady, quick pace. Um, I felt so exhausted, like weak, almost dizzy and nauseous. And so you're saying that is the feeling. That's it. That's Arnica. That's Arnica. You just gave the perfect description of Arnica. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Next time yeah. I'm going to bring it with as, me. Yeah. Well, you can take it now. If you still feel it a little bit, as soon as we finish, Kate, take a dose. <laughs> you probably won't need more than one dose, but if you do, it's okay. You wait a few hours and take a second dose if you don't see enough of a change. But wow. generally speaking, one dose will often do it. That my friends is a protocol. It's not a Banerjee protocol. It's a protocol that most homeopaths understand and know after having been in practice for years. And that's really where we get this information is from clinical experience, from our personal experience and clinical experience. It's interesting because you never think of Arnica for that. You think of Arnica for injuries. bumps. Yeah. Injuries, bumps, right. bruises. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, we learned something today. Yeah. Good one. As we wrap up this podcast, just give us one more example of how you stay organized and live your life. And I know you wanted to talk about time a little bit. So share with us how you organize your time. Well, it won't be personal this time because I think I gave some good information on how I do it. I don't know how valuable that is to folks, but um, Charles, I believe it was Charles Darwin said, a man who dares to waste one hour of time doesn't understand the meaning of life. And I think that's very valuable. Now, remember, Darwin didn't have religion as many of us do. And so I wouldn't call that the exact meaning of life, but it certainly gives us a focus on how important every single hour is. It's the commodity that we can never buy. It's the commodity that we can never get back again. So every minute, every hour of our day is important. It doesn't mean that we always have to be productive in the usual way. It doesn't mean we always have to be working out or swimming or studying or learning or growing or et cetera. It could be that you need a nap and that can be productive too. So that's all part of the balance. But it is important that we utilize every moment of our day that God has granted us. As I hope you know by now, on my blog, podcasts, and Facebook Live, I offer as many protocols for simple conditions as I can for free without affiliates or advertising. But let me be clear. 
when it comes to more complex conditions, it's key that you learn how to use these medicines properly. I want you to be well-trained. So I save discussions of the more involved methods for my courses in which I walk students through each method with step-by-step training. I hope listening to this podcast has inspired you to follow in their footsteps. With the proper training, you too can nurture and protect the health of your family and loved ones with practical homeopathy. You just listened to a podcast from practicalhomeopathy.com, where nationally certified homeopath, public speaker, and author Joette Calabrese shares her passion for helping families stay strong through homeopathy. Joette's podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Blueberry, Pandora, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening to this podcast with Joette Calabrese. To learn more and find out if homeopathy is a good fit for your health strategy, visit practicalhomeopathy.com.